So before Donna reads, I have a couple things I want to say. First of all, I want to thank uh, Joey, Russ, yay, for um, filling in for me last Sunday. Yeah, yeah, his timing was, of coming home was perfect, and I felt very comfortable leaving the service in his, hand, in his hands and in the hands of Glaffy Carr. So thank you so much, Joey. I, my only regret is I didn't get to hear you speak, so I guess you'll have to give the whole sermon to me or something at some point. <laughs> But, you know, I wouldn't have traded last weekend for anything. Um, what a wonderful gift to be with the entire Carlisle family and with extended family beyond that. It was a really, it was a blessed time of such great joy. There were tears, there were laughter, there was lots of conversation, there was hug, lots of love. I feel very full and I am so grateful and I'm glad to be back with you. Um, some of you may notice that Don is not here. That's because he stayed in Indiana to help his mom move from her home of 22 years into a retirement facility, which is gonna be really good for her. So it's a very positive move, but we felt like he needed to stay with his younger brother and, and help her out. So he'll be back next Sunday. It's good. Now, some of you, maybe even Joey, may be wondering, didn't we hear this scripture passage last week? Well, yeah, you did. Um, I, I am preaching on the same, pretty much the same scripture passage that Joey did. Um, I have to admit that when he told me he was preaching on this, I was kind of like, oh, shoot. Um, <laughs> I wanted to do that one. <laughs> but then I remembered the nature of parables, especially the parables of Jesus. You know, many of us think of parables as allegories um, in which each element means a specific thing. A equals God, B equals Jesus, C equals us, etc. And while it is true that the Gospels interpret some parables in this way, generally speaking, parables are not meant to be allegories. Instead, a parable is a comparison. The word parable comes from two Greek words, which mean thrown alongside. And in a parable, one thing is thrown or laid alongside another often more familiar thing to see what happens. And those comparisons almost always challenge us to think. Parables seek to speak to our minds, our imaginations, and our hearts on multiple levels. And we have the opportunity to peel away another layer or to go, and to go deeper every time we read them. So knowing this, I said, hey, I'm going to go ahead and preach on this same passage. But not all of it. Last Sunday's gospel reading included two parables, the parable of the growing seed and the parable of the mustard seed. Most of us are familiar with the latter as it appears in Matthew and Luke as well as Mark. The parable of the growing seed, however, only appears in Mark. And at first glance, it seems pretty straightforward, even a little boring. Um, it doesn't capture our imagination the way the more famous mustard seed parable or the parable of the sower does. But there is always more than meets the eye in a parable. To quote Jesus as Donna reads this little story, let anyone with ears to hear listen. He also said, the kingdom of God is as if someone would scatter seed on the ground and would sleep and rise night and day, and the seed would sprout and grow. He does not know how. The earth produces of itself first the stalk, then the head, then the full grain in the head. But when the grain is ripe, at once he goes in with his sickle, because the harvest has come. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. That's it. 
That's the whole story. Jesus says the kingdom of God is as if. The kingdom of God is a pretty churchy phrase that we use a lot. In fact, we say it every Sunday when we say the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come. But what is the kingdom of God? Well, for one thing, it is not a location. It is not a place. James Boyce describes it as the the dynamic reality of God's presence and power within the creation and within the lives of God's people. Some prefer to use terms like dominion, reign, rule of God. Personally, I like the phrase kingdom of God because it describes this reality in terms of relationships and community. Whatever term you choose to use, the kingdom of God is both what Jesus came to announce and that which he embodied. And his parable has, us, has something to say about this kingdom. So Jesus says, the kingdom of God is as if someone would scatter seeds on the ground and would sleep and rise night and day, and the seed would sprout and grow. He does not know how. Who is this someone? We don't really know. It's not said. Could be God, although God would certainly understand how the seed would grow. It could be Jesus, but I like to think that the person in his parable is an ordinary farmer planting his crop. But I have to say, not doing a very good job of it. I mean, yeah, I know that gardening is all of its kind of an experiment, but this is ridiculous. The farmer doesn't do anything but scatter the seed. He doesn't water, he doesn't weed, he doesn't fertilize, he doesn't prune. He doesn't tend his field at all. Nor does he seem to, need, seem to know the need to do so. He just throws the seed around and then goes to sleep. And we know from the parable of the sower that seed doesn't always fall on fertile ground. The farmer's action, or lack thereof, seems irresponsible, foolish, even lazy. And yet, as the parable indicate, the seed sprouts and grows. The earth produces of itself, Jesus says. The Greek word here is automatos, from which we derive our word automatic. The seed, the earth produces automatically. The seed grows no matter what or the farmer does or doesn't do. How it does this is a mystery to the farmer and truth be told to us. My mother-in-law, Joyce, in Indiana, has always been an avid gardener. And during her visits here, she often worked in her yard, which I was quite happy to let her do. So one year, it would have been about 14 years ago because she would have been 76, she started clearing away a patch of St. Augustine grass in our yard. She is very persistent at this. But pretty soon, Don, her son, was out there helping her to enlarge the plot and to work in compost, and before I knew it, they had planted raspberries and strawberries and potatoes. Awesome. Most of the compost that they use came from our own neglected pile, and unbeknownst to any of us, it still had viable seeds in it, including seeds that produced two big tomato plants. Even more awesome! But that was not all they produced. To our wonder and surprise, that compost also produced three wildly sprawling pumpkin plants that grew out under the middle of the yard and vined their way up a chain-link fence. Thank God they were miniature pumpkins. 
because they produced 50-some little pumpkins. And we had nothing to do with it. It was a complete surprise, a mystery. And this, Jesus says, is how the kingdom of God works, invisibly, mysteriously, step by step, inevitably. First the stalk, then the grain head, then the full grain in the head. I want to say the ear because that's come, you thankful people come that's in there. Producing a fruitful harvest that all will see and enjoy. And we did enjoy those pumpkins. Yes, we did spread them around too. <laughs> this parable offers us an amazing promise. The promise that the kingdom, the reign, the kingdom of God will come no matter what. Just as the farmer sleeps peacefully, trusting in the power and vitality of his seed to grow, so we can trust that God's kingdom has been, will be, and is growing among us. In spite of everything that tells us otherwise, the hatred, despair, injustice, and grief in our world, God is at work silently, secretly, inevitably. Sounds almost too good to be true, doesn't it? How are we to believe this, living as we do in an uncertain and anxious age? In her sermon on this parable, Barbara Brown Taylor writes, what is absent when anxiety is present is faith, that God will be God, that the automatic earth will yield its fruit, that life can be trusted. She goes on to suggest that the only way to deal with our anxiety is to repent of our conviction that we must work out our own salvation and that we are doomed to fail. Instead, we must choose to live in courage over and over again every day that we live. We must choose to live in hope and in faith. This is not to say that we have no part in the coming of the kingdom. On the contrary, Taylor concludes her sermon with these words, scatter your seeds. Henry David Thoreau once wrote, I have great faith in a seed. Convince me that you have a seed there and I will am prepared to expect wonders. Like the farmer, we have the ability to scatter seeds of wonder in the world if only we will find the courage and the faith to do so. So what are the seeds that we have to scatter? Compassion, mercy, kindness come quickly to mind. Hospitality and helping are also among the seeds we sow. Giving of ourselves, sharing our gifts, serving with joy, forgiving in love, living in gratitude, a passion for peace, a desire to see justice, all these things and more are seeds that each one of us has to share with our children, with each other, with our community, and with our world. Mind you, we can choose to sow other seeds as well. We can sow seeds of prejudice and fear, seeds of selfishness and greed, seeds of anger and hatred. God gives us that choice. But this parable assures us that even when we choose to sow such seeds, God does not give up but in mystery and silence works to bring, to grow goodness out of evil and to transform the seeds of hate into fruits of love, into grain that is made into bread and grapes that are made into wine and shared. This seed parable tells us that the kingdom of God is to be found in the everyday, ordinary things of life. 
It tells us that the kingdom of God is sown in tiny ways, in inconspicuous acts, in insignificant moments, in seemingly futile gestures and ineffective words. But somehow, in wild, wonderful, unexpected ways, the power of God takes over, spreading uncontrollably, growing imperceptibly, revealing its presence in unmistakable ways. The parable also shows us that the growth of God's kingdom does not always produce the results that we expect or even results that we deem to be successful. When the seeds from our compost pile sprouted, I was happy to see the tomato plants, but I wasn't so sure about those pumpkin vines. Sometimes the growth of God's reign results in the uprooting of long-held prejudices and unjust practices in changed lives and new growth. But many other times it shows itself in smaller ways, in a kind word, a welcoming smile, a loving touch, a safe place to learn and grow and thrive. Finally, this parable tells us that our task is to sow, to wait, and to trust that the promised harvest will come to fruition. In his commentary on this passage, Matt Skinner writes, the parables insist that the reign of God will not remain secretive forever, nor does its ultimate emergence depend on humanity's ingenuity, secret, excuse me, social engineering, pietistic intensity, moral value, or spiritual cleverness. Do you hear that? The kingdom of God does not depend on us. That is a liberating thought, my friends. We are not responsible for its success. That is in God's hands. Instead, we are afraid to live and work, serve and share in the promise of the sure and certain growth of God's rule and reign among us. Many years ago, a man named Jim Strathy wrote a song called The Harvest Will Come. Its chorus goes like this. The harvest will come, say the parables of Jesus. We scatter the seeds, let go of our fear. One morning we'll rise and all cry rejoicing. Make ready the feast, for the harvest is here. And it goes like this. The harvest will come, say the parables of Jesus. We scatter the seeds, let go of our fear. One morning we'll rise and all cry rejoicing. Make ready the feast, for the harvest is here. The promise is ours, thanks be to God. May we scatter the seeds of the kingdom, the seeds of promise in that faith and in that hope. Amen and amen. <laughs>